1859, Darwin spilled the first splashes of his universal acid. The effects were like magic, burning human arrogance into ashes in pretty much the same way that Copernican math did. Welcome, welcome, Skander. Hello, Jamie. How you doing? I'm good. I, uh, did you see any different, anything different about my appearance? No, <laughs> did you get a haircut? No. No one notices my appearance change. Not even my, not even my family. I, sh- I shaved. <laughs> oh, you shaved. shaved and what, of and, course. And, and I had an entire, I had di- the entirety of dinner with my family until they noticed that I'd shaved. So that's oh, wow. a testament that the beard project was unsuccessful. Well, you know what? I quite liked your beard when we were traveling together. Um, and I got to see you unshaved. I thought I thought it was cute. <laughs> cute. <laughs> my name is Skander. Uh, I'm joined always by my domesticated bestie, Jamie. Yeah. Uh, his insatiable, unquenchable, voracious appetite for knowledge. Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> He's always hungry. Um, I'm personally, I'm back in Belgium. Uh, I absolutely needed less vitamin D. So I thought, let's uh, go back home. I'm a bit sad to, to be back home in some ways, but also happy to be able to see my, my family for a few months. Um, and I was wondering if, uh, Jamie, do you have a pearl of wisdom for us today, apart from the beard thing? Okay, so you want, you, you want some completely like unthe- unthemed, out-of-context wisdom, just like you just want yes. straight-up wisdom, like raw wisdom. Raw. Um, okay, like... Don't ignore like the coldness of your feet because for years, <laughs> really? my feet, I mean, I'm quite tall, so I don't have very good circulation, but for years, my feet were always cold and I just ignore it. And I got used to it, but try not. To All right. That was too much information. Cause you'll anyways. get ill. You'll get ill. <laughs> if your feet today. Wear, wear extra socks. <laughs> That's what I do now. I'm, Thank so, you. I'm happier. I'm more motivated. Nice. Nice. Enough about socks. Uh, we're excited today to welcome a very special guest, the Portuguese social marketing conservationist extraordinaire, Diogo Verissimo. How are you, Diogo? Hello, hello. Uh, thanks for um, for having me. It's a pleasure. No, no worries. Thanks for coming. So we have a, a lot to talk about because I think, first of all, not many people have heard the words uh, social marketing together, and even less people probably have heard the words social marketing conservation together. <laughs> It's a, a bit of a mouthful, but I'm sure it warrants uh, an episode because from the papers that we've read to prepare for this, it, it's really, really interesting. Um, glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I I think we might bump heads a little bit um, on some things because Uh-oh. just of, yeah, because of maybe because of, of, you know, learned ideas, kind of like ideas that we have about mm-hmm marketing i think mostly sure, but sure. i'm super happy to maybe have you dispel those beliefs um and and kind of see the light let's hope so, let's hope let's see. <laughs> so let's start maybe with uh, a little intro as to who you are um what you consider yourself to be doing in, in life sure. all these sort of things Sure, sure. Let's uh, let's see. Let's see. So, you know, my name is Diogo. Already said, I'm, I'm I was born in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, my focus really is on this uh, this idea of um, trying to influence a human behavior towards more sustainable alternatives. Um, in particular, I have a focus on biodiversity conservation. Uh, very often, I think it gets less attention than other other issues. You know, we have a a lot of focus around sort of waste management, recycling, energy conservation, but less so on on biodiversity. And so that's really what I'm uh, what I'm focusing on. Um, and and really, you know, I think it's important to recognize that threats to biodiversity come from human decision making, right? These collective decision making processes that we have um, as a society, particularly in developing or particularly in developed countries, uh, where where we have a lot of we are very hungry for resources. Um, and so, you know, uh, influencing that process, those processes is really, I think, the way forward um, for us to get um, uh, threats to be to be mitigated. And so with that in mind, with this this idea of, you know, trying to influence people's behavior, why not um, use this tried and tested uh, you know, field that has, I think, quite a lot of wisdom as to uh, what makes people, um, you know, take certain decisions. Um, and so it's also, a, I think that's one of the benefits of marketing is this has this applied focus, um, um, which I think we really need. Uh, we need to be, um, you know, quite, quite practical and really, really focused on achieving real world change 
um, um, because of course biodiversity um, is under a serious threat, right? So we cannot, um, well, we need to be, um, we are a little bit on the clock, I think. So do, do you have anything to say to people who might have a, a sort of knee-jerk reaction to the word marketing when paired with something like conservation mm -hmm. or, or mm -hmm. nature? Because I, I can think of more than a few people that would hear this pairing of word and think, why are we, why are we trying to use in a way something that got us here or helped get us here through mm -hmm. kind of excessive consumerism mm -hmm. um, to fix the problem? Mm -hmm. Now that's, I think that's a really legitimate and important question. So, you know, the way I think about it is very much that um, uh, the, the fact that, um, uh, that we got here through a lot through because of marketing around excessive consumption, for example, is because the only people using marketing were people who whose um, jobs depended on consumption, mm -hmm. uh, and so they used marketing to achieve their their own goals. Uh, but of course, I think what we need more is other people with different goals to use these principles in order to push things in a different direction. Um, and so I, I think that, uh, that there's no reason why why the private sector and companies and businesses should have the monopoly of these sort of um, Wisdom, wisdom, I guess, or, or, or set mm -hmm. of principles and knowledge and theories. Um, there's no reason why we should um, uh, give up on on them as a principle, as opposed to and, and sort of I think try to decouple a little bit more of what we what they are what, what the what the sort of body of knowledge is and what the outcomes have been due to the fact that they've been used only by a, a particular sector of society, which of course depends on people buying stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think actually I, I think if we had had more engagement of um, of the conservation sector, right? For for many many years, we've we've spent. I mean, I think the reality is that we've spent a, a long time um, focused on wildlife itself. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, even myself, right? My initial focus was on animals and plants. You know how they were spectacular in their uniqueness, and you know how how each different species can tell so much of the our sort of joint um, history right you know all together in this planet um but of course i think the reality is that once you shift your focus to the conservation of those species rather than understanding them uh you know as as sort of entities like living entities on on, on this planet you realize that it's really about people it's really about people it's not so much about and and we've we, we focused a lot you know in the last sort of 30 40 years on documenting declines pretty much so counting counting things how many elephants are there how many whales are there which of course is an important piece of knowledge right but that piece of knowledge in itself is not going to change the fate of the whale or the elephant right just counting how many there are what is going to change their faith is uh, our ability to influence people who are making decisions. Now, these people might be policymakers at high level, making these you know uh, big policy changes. They might be um, at sort of the more individual consumer level, um, people making t decisions about what what to buy. Right? Uh, they might be middle sort of level uh, uh, decisions. So, you know, if in, in case of, uh, for example, a shopkeeper who decides what products to sell, they, they can what, what which which projects uh, which products. Um, uh, he's gonna, or he or she is gonna keep in his store or her store, mm -hmm. right? That also shapes decision making, right? Because the consumer, yeah. if the consumer goes to the shop, um, the product's not available. Okay, sure, the product can, can just go to the next shop, but it's an additional barrier you're putting in, right? So all of these decision makers, all of these people make decisions who influence, uh, you know, biodiversity and the state of biodiversity, um, and uh, and and so I think that's that's why I think it's um, it is important for us. And it's time for us to think about think people more and focus more on people and what they do and why they do it yeah can you maybe give us a, an example so that our listeners kind of get um, a better understanding of what we mean by all this theoretical stuff um, maybe I was thinking of the the game that I was just playing before before uh, we started the call yeah yeah sure so um, uh, I, I, my, my, I have sort of two, two hats. Um, one hat is as a research fellow at the University of Oxford, and the other one is as the director of market of conservation marketing for On the Edge Conservation, which is um, uh, a philanthropic um, uh, organization that's based in uh, um, uh, in London, in the UK. Mm, yeah. um, and so, one of the things that we've been working on this 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 year has been on developing. Uh, 
mobile games um, that focus on uh, species that are uh, at the same time under threat, but at the same, but also uh, unique. So they have no close relatives. Right? Mm -hmm. And so our first game, the game that we launched this year is called Kakapo Run. Um, it is available for Android and iOS. So mm -hmm. please go and yes. check it out. Um, and um, we did a lot of research before we, um, you know, as we were shaping and designing the game uh, to make sure that we got the, you know, uh, it, it was not just, it, yes, it was fun because games should be fun, but yeah. not just fun, right? So that as the, as the players were going through the game, they actually have um, that, that they were uh, influenced by, by the game itself. And so we, we um, looked into, into, into how, in essence, how the, the attitudes, the behaviors and, um, the knowledge of those people playing the game differed from those people playing a separate game that was, you know, relatively similar but without environmental messaging um, over the course of um, of uh, of a week. Mm -hmm. And what we saw was uh, an important sort of change in. Um, uh, so you know, I should say for those uh, who are uh, methodologically inclined in in your in listeners that um, we randomized so we randomized um, who got into each of the groups uh, each group was a hundred people um, and um, we we then compared you know how how these changes the different changes in different groups and we saw that um, playing the game does have an important um, does have important uh, benefits right to for 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 um, for that audience in terms of how they perceived the kakapo kakapo by the way is a um, sort of a a flightless green big parrot that only lives in um, New Zealand and only comes out at night. Um, which is, oh, only you know, comes out at night. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's as fantastic as it sounds. Um, uh, and so um, and and so uh, you know that 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 is exactly the type of uh, effort where we that we we're, we're trying to um, you know at, at, at on the edge conservation we're trying to make these. Um, these creatures household names through the use of these of these platforms that help us get um, these animals out to uh, people ne not necessarily wouldn't necessarily um, watch a BBC documentary or uh, Netflix our planet or something like that um, right so you it's still fun it's still a thing that you enjoy doing regardless of whether you're you know uh, learning about a species or not but at the same time, we do have we do design it so that we know that um, as you go through the game, that you become, um, you know, your your support for the conservation of the species increases. Yes. Yeah, so as 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 we've kind of touched upon this um, idea of social marketing is quite interesting, um, but I'd li I'd like to know what your thoughts are on this. So the kind of marketing system in general can be seen as quite uh, damaging and kind of, a, um, you know, drawing people's attention to the most perhaps appealing or interesting things, which isn't necessarily the most important things. And uh, so admittedly, what you're trying to do is use that to draw people's attention to things that things that matter, um, uh, species that are, you know, th threatened uh, by extinction. However, do does this not sort of prop up or kind of use this uh, kind of use the fact that people are drawn by attention grabbing uh, grabbing appealing things rather than um kind of having the ability to scrutinize or even push back against these these sort of um marketing practices in in instead um going approaching these uh, issues in a more scientific manner yeah i mean i think uh, that, that's 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 i think it's a great question so i i think i think we need to avoid the idea that everyone needs to be a professional conservationist and everyone needs to love wildlife and everyone needs to make that their top priority because that's i don't think that's realistic you know people like all different mm. types of things and they're interested in all different types of you know topics and and some of them will like wildlife and they really will put that as a priority in terms of how they live their lives others won't um but the thing is that we cannot really make change. We cannot really achieve what we are set out to if we only rely on those people who absolutely prioritize wildlife as their sort of a key thing aspect of their life. Um, and so we need to bring on board, we need to get people to support and to care about for this cause 
those that are interested, you know, primarily in other things, you know, sports, um, you know, uh, other types of, for example, right, other types of popular culture, right? So all these different groups of people, we need to get them to embrace this cause. And I think we only are going to do that if we, yes, to some, some people, we might be able to uh, communicate and get to them and reach them through much more sort of, uh, you know, David Attenborough-like uh, you know, approaches. We talk about the wildlife. We highlight how how exceptional, how unique, how you know beautiful, how sort of how it relates to uh, you know the history of our planet. All of that. But I think with other other groups of people, we'll have to communicate differently. So we'll have to, in essence, and I, and I think this is actually a really good a really good aspect and a way in how how marketing is important, right? Because it teaches us to sort of think like our audience, right? And so. Very, for, for many years, you know, myself, I communicated, I told people the things that I, that would get me to change, right? So I would communicate with other people as if they had the passion that I have for wildlife and animals. Because to me, in my mind, it was just, I, I, in my head, it was, how, how, my thinking was, if I could get them to care as much as I do, then it would be okay. But I think the, the key thing that this forgets is that people are different. Um, and so, you know, my efforts to get everyone to care as much as wildlife about wildlife as I do are, are, are just are, are not. It, it is not a way that's feasible forward. What I need to just acknowledge is that different groups of people like different things. Um, some of them will rank wildlife highly. Some of them won't. And I, what my mission is, is to frame my message in a way that is palatable and acceptable to them to get them to engage with it, um, as opposed to try to get them to communicate on my terms, on my ground, um, to see if, and then, and then in, inevitably a, end up blaming them um, for not listening or not caring, which is really common as well in conservation, I think as well. Um, you know, blaming people for not caring enough or not, right? And I think the, the key thing is to turn it around, right? So, you know, think about it as, as you know, I'll, I'll use a company, a company metaphor for, you know, just because we are talking about marketing, you know, I don't think I don't think anyone would take very seriously a company that went bankrupt and blamed consumers or, or their customers for not liking their products enough, right? That just wouldn't make any sense. Um, that's not how it works. Uh, yet we do that all the time in conservation. We say, oh, you know, people are the problem. They don't care enough about things, right? They are the, they are the guilty party, as opposed to turning it around and saying, why are we not communicating effectively enough to reach those people? Why are those groups of people not engaging with our message? It must be because we're doing something wrong, right? And we need to change the script. We need to reimagine how we're doing things, do it different, uh, uh, test out different approaches, take a bit more risk, um, all of this while understanding what works and what doesn't. So we can, you know, um, find a way forward. I, I think this is definitely a critique that um, is applicable, not just to things like conservation movements, but also to, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, these kind of leftist political parties that I that I keep seeing um, do not do enough about optics. I think that's the the one critique that I've been having of um, of kind of left wing parties, and let's say in the UK, is that I feel like there isn't enough of that mentality of okay, what what would people want us to to say? rather than you know compared to let's say like conservative parties in the uk i think are much much better at this and i think that's why one of the reasons why uh, they were so successful in the last elections um but i i was wondering how this kind of technique and this potential for for change might um might fare in a place where maybe these people the people that you're targeting can't have that choice because I, I guess marketing is based I'm obviously uh, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but for me, marketing is based on the presumption of choice that someone can have the choice to choose what you're offering or not. And marketing is really trying to get the person to choose that option. Um, but what if the citizen or the person that you are uh, marketing to for conservation purposes, uh, doesn't have or a choice or feels that they don't have a choice in changing their ways. Mm -hmm. No, I mean that's that, that's that's a really important question, and I think there's sort of two answers to that. Um, one is if you're talking about, you know, on, on one hand, you have the sort of more tangible barriers, 
you know, simple things like um, uh, you might be, you know, if you focus on a, on a sort of the UK context, for example, maybe you're trying to get someone to purchase an item that is sourced sustainably mm -hmm. over another one that's sourced unsustainably. But of course, the price, dif price is different and the person has a monetary obstacle right they cannot afford right to buy mm -hmm. the more expensive item right so that's one that's one sort of uh, one type of obstacle or even more basic um um it might be sort of a physical uh, obstacle so maybe you want to get someone to engage in a in a particular behavior say recycling let's say for example but there's no recycling <laughs> facility yeah I mean, happens all the time <laughs> right so that's you know how how's that yeah. how's that going to work right i mean you, you might just have the person on 100 percent on board and still won't they won't be engaging that behavior simply mm -hmm. because he can't right that's just the, the the situation so that's that's one that's one aspect and so in that case i think yes it, you do need marketing plus you need infrastructure you need to enable to overcome these these limitations you need structural changes as well Mm -hmm. Right, and so and that's a critique of marketing is that very often it's not enough. Very often you need more structural, bigger changes in order to enable people to really make change, um, which I think you know it, it's it's absolutely fair, and 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 I I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't advocate that um, if if you don't see a particular change happen, it's always the fault of again you know it's not the fault of the person. It is just we need to just understand how can we enable that change, right? And that might be you know a structural change. You get a recycling facility, you get a, you know, curbside collection, you get, you know, whatever it might be, right. That you need to get in order for people to be able to complete that cycle, that behavior. Um, then there's another, I think another aspect of this, which is uh, when you said, you know, the people don't feel like they can make a change. Uh, right. And I think that's slightly different. So we're talking more intangible barriers. So things like maybe there's a social norm that, you know, um, uh, you know, and I, I give this example all the time, you know, uh, uh, my, uh, uh, I have a grandfather who lived in a, a very small village where all my family's from. This village is about 300 people. And he once told me that he wouldn't, um, he didn't, didn't do any recycling. He understood, he understood what recycling was. He understood what, why it was positive, but he wouldn't do it um, because no one else in the village did. Yeah. So he didn't want to be the odd one out. He didn't want to be the first one to do something that was not usual. And so he didn't do it. Right. Um, and so this is that sort of intangible barrier that, you know, that, that stops people from changing their behavior. And I think this is the type of thing that marketing can influence, um, that marketing can um, uh, can change. And we can try to reframe the behavior in a different way. So it's it's no longer uh, you know, a, 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 a burden you have to carry, but it's actually something that you look forward to, that you want to initiate, that you want to be the first one to do in your, you know, circle, social circle. So I right? guess we so go look at marketing as one of the tools rather than the answer. Yeah, of course. And I mean, you know, I think it's, if, if once, if there's one thing that probably everyone around uh, sustainability and environment will agree is that there's no single answer. Yeah. Um, we'll need to have a suite of tools. Different tools will be adequate for different contexts and different problems and different people and different groups. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so, so definitely it, it is not the single answer. Uh, it is one answer that, you know, in my view at least, can address a number of challenges by no means all. And what about, uh, I, I guess... This is kind of uh, already answered then, but I guess this applies to people who have, who f either feel or have no choice um, in to part other than participating in environmentally damaging practices as a means of uh, subsistence or, mm. or survival. I guess those people are not really the ones that were that that social marketing um, effort is trying to, to convince. So, so, so yes, so there's, there's that. Um, but I also will say that sometimes people have more choice than it seems. So for example, we recently we've completed some work in Santo Domingo Principe um, in partnership with uh, an NGO called Programma Tato. Um, and one of the things we realized is that, um, so it was, it was focused on uh, consumption and, and, uh, and trade of sea turtle meat in particular, right? That was the, the topic. Um, and so, yeah, you know, sea turtle is consumed and there's definitely um, a country where there are issues around um, food security, um, right? So I think it would be easy for us to uh, have a sort of this blanket narrative and say, oh, okay, you know, anything has to do with, uh, you know, protein sources, you know, there's no alternative because there's issues around food security. But actually what we saw was, uh, you know, was a bit more nuanced than that when we looked into this in, in a bit more detail. We saw that one, sea turtles are seasonal resources. So you cannot really rely on them, you know, 
throughout the year. Two, um, the households that were using them did not have issues around food security. Um, and so it, it really wasn't, it, it, this didn't, there was no, really no intersection between the issue of food security and the consumption of, of seafood, uh, of, uh, of sea turtle meat, um, which you know, then meant um, that we could potentially look into an intervention uh, to, to try to influence that behavior because it was a really small source of protein and consumed by, um, by a small um, section of the population. Um, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, certainly there are instances where um, people are led into situations where they have no other choice. Their livelihood has to be based on um, sustainable behaviors. That happens quite a lot. Um, but I think it's also, also it always pays to really look into the, the situation, the context in which, um, in which you know, a particular behavior takes place so we can really understand whether, whether what options people have and what options people don't. And, and let me very quickly just say that the opposite is also true. Right, so sometimes, for example, there's this, a lot of narratives around, for example, the use of bush meat in a lot of tropical countries, where from the outside people just ask, why don't let's let's get people to eat chicken instead, or let's get people to eat some other animal instead, uh, because it just seems, you know, if you look at it from a really sort of you know ten thousand feet, it looks as if, you know, you you if you look if you're eating some wild animal, you you can just eat some other animal, right? It's animal per animal, it's animal <laughs> yeah. protein. Surely it's all okay in the same, but of course that's really not the case, right? There's all these different, uh, you know, domestic uh, animal meat and wild animal meat, different types of animals. All of them have, people have perceived them differently, of course, and they have different preferences around them, different cultural and, uh, you know, social uh, meanings. And so it, it is, it is, even when it just seems like okay. Why not just have this substitution? Um, it it gets a bit more complicated than that. And and, yeah. and I think that's another, another thing that um, the marketing can teach us. You know that, that that we need to really know our target audience in order to have any chance at all of influencing them. Yeah, and in a way, by understanding our target audience better, we can empathize them a bit better with them. Absolutely, that's that's really. And thank you for highlighting that. That because empathy really is the word. Um, it's not enough to uh, understand them. You really need to empathize. You need to, to walk a mile in their shoes um, to to really get uh, to the bottom of why people make the decisions they do. Yeah. Um, do you not worry that perhaps in a, a worst case scenario, um, someone uh, sees, uh, experiences some form of social marketing and becomes aware of an issue? Um, Perhaps prior to this, they were in, they were interested but didn't know anything about the topic, and they were considering doing their own research. But upon experiencing the social marketing, perhaps they feel like that they are now informed, and the result of that is perhaps they may have a more superficial understanding of it than they would. And this so and this is obviously a worst case scenario of an mm. of an experience. So I think, I mean, I'm not sure if it matches exactly what you were describing, but certainly a situation where we've come across is, um, and this is not so much social marketing, it's more about um, just standard sort of awareness raising campaigns. So for example, an example is this idea that, um, you know, sometimes particularly around the illegal wildlife trade, for example, uh, and this no longer happens to the same extent, but certainly a few years back, um, there were, there were, there, there would be campaigns that would just be information dissemination campaigns right so and I, I try to distinguish that between that and social marketing in the sense that social marketing usually has a lot of groundwork there's a more sort of a, a strategic approach as opposed to just you know disseminating information um, and some of these information dissemination campaigns um, would would say things like uh, rhino horn is worth more than gold say for example right so very much you know very much to the point you're making if i've never thought of rhino horn in my life or if i you know it's something in the back of my mind that i think of now and then someone mentions it, it's not a big deal and this is something that i hear it might what the reaction people might have is saying oh this is something i should be taking notice of this is something that it's 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 a big deal if it's more worth more than gold it's a pretty big deal, right? So in essence, what that happens is then you're sort of, I guess, sort of framing that decision-making around, so it's the wrong framing of the decision. Um, and, and, and so this is, and you're right, that it, it is really important to realize that when it comes to any 
effort to change behavior, the worst case scenario is not that it doesn't work. The worst case scenario is that it makes it worse. And, and so the reason, the way we, we, we minimize this risk, and I really want to be clear that it's never zero, any, any, of, any effort, there's, there's never an effort that has zero chances of backfiring. But the way we minimize this is by doing all the groundwork, the research upfront, to really understand what people, what people know about the topic. So for example, to that, to that issue of rhino horn, really understand who knows what groups of people are thinking about rhino horn, who's, who, who, which groups of people are consuming it. So that when you disseminate information, you don't, don't blankly disseminate information to everyone. You're focusing on those people who already are thinking about consumption, thinking about acquiring some or, or, no, or something like that. Or, for example, you do it slightly differently. So there's this work uh, um, uh, uh, has been doing, uh, I'm involved in with an organization called Free the Bears and with San Diego Zoo Global, uh, where we're working around bear bile um, in Cambodia, the use of, of bear bile. Um, and we're hoping to launch a campaign soon there. And it's not about bear bile at all. So the campaign is about uh, medical assistance and using um, um, uh, local uh, biomedicine uh, care right so it's it's not about we don't say don't the campaign is not about don't use bear bile bear is bad no it's much more about um really understanding the, the sort of the nuance and 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 how this should be uh, you know framed and of course even after the research is up front when once we have the the, the the messaging all of that goes through piloting again goes through testing so that we minimize that risk right and of course at the end impact evaluation right understanding did it work? Did it not work? If it didn't work, why? If it made things worse, why? And of course, yeah. then sharing that knowledge with others, right? So let's let's get off maybe just off of the worst case scenarios and, and risks and, and, and negativity around that particular topic for a second. And let's maybe head to um, the potential positives and, and how we can really change things with social marketing in terms of conservation. Can you give us a little insight as to the kind of dreamlike possibilities of, of social marketing or, or kind of the, the positives. I guess, right. Um, right. So, I mean, I, I think, I think the, the best, some of the best examples, um, um, you know, it, it's some of the best examples we have around the use of social marketing. And I, I really want to, and I, I probably should have mentioned at this point that really social marketing, the, the biggest chunk of work uh, around social marketing is in health, public health. Um, so, you know, environment is a small, small slice of the cake. The vast majority of work is around, is around mm -hmm. pu public health. And, and not things. just because of COVID, I'm guessing. No, 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 no. This is comes back, you know, comes from, you know, um, uh, having a, uh, exercising, you're wearing a seatbelt, um, um, you know, five a day, you know, all of that work, uh, you know, yeah. health, public health, uh, work that's, that's been done in, in a lot of countries around the world, uh, also uh, re reproductive health, you know, all of that, all of that work. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that is actually a really good, um, it's a re sort of, I think a really good, um, we, we can look at that uh, and see how much, how, how many, how, how much has been gained, right. Through things like uptake of, you know, of course, particularly relevant to this time that we're living in now, say, for example, vaccines, yeah. right? Uptake of vaccination, uptake of uh, immunization, right? And so how that has led to, um, to you know, a really important um, reductions in mortality, for example, across many, many countries. Um, but of course, you know, other things as well. Uh, in, 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 for example, I think one would, although it's there, there, of course, social marketing is one factor across uh, and several others, for example, um, the fact that we've in the last 10 years or so seen a quick reduction of smoking, for example, in North America and Europe. Again, again, social marketing there is one factor amongst several. I think it's, it's, a, it's a contributing, important contributing factor. Um, when it comes to biodiversity, I think, um, I, think, I think we really can see a very substantial amount of change because, you know, as I was highlighting in the beginning, really a big, big, big set of, of drivers in, come from behavior in, in countries, wealthy countries. Um, and so we're not talking about uh, people who really have you know, very limited choices, who really pressed to behave in certain ways. Largely, we're talking about people who do have a lot of different options and who can who could choose other other ways of um, you know other 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 patterns of decision making? I'm I'm reminded of this uh, Belgian 
social marketing campaign um, that I don't, I don't know when it was started, but they started for some reason calling the sober person at a party who drives everyone back, Bob. Uh, I'm not really sure why. But <laughs> in, I mean, Bob is not really a French name at all. So I, I guess it makes a bit more sense in French. But they said, you know, like, if you're Bob, don't drink and stuff like that. Or like, Bob's your best friend and, you know, crap like that. And, and But it caught on. And now you see, I have a, a, a kind of big street uh, right next to my house. And there's a huge sign right outside um, that says something about Bob, you know, like <laughs> keep hold of your Bob and don't let him drink sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's become quite successful, I think, because it's entered the everyday common vocabulary mm. of people. Uh, it, Bob has literally become a word now due to this campaign in Belgium, at least, meaning the sober person at the party yeah. who, who's like responsible for everyone. Um, I think that's wonderful. I mean, that, that's definitely a really positive thing because God knows drunk driving is an epidemic everywhere and mm-hmm. uh, horrendous in its effects. I want to take a l- quick break from this and we can play a little game. And then nice. we'll get back into the uh, more serious stuff to finish off uh, with a, a few questions right. around education and things like that. So the game is uh, still not named. <laughs> We're still <laughs> calling for our listeners to send us some name suggestions on Twitter, on Instagram, all of that. Uh, quick plug, you can find all of our links at linktr.ee, so linktree, uh, slash human policy podcast. Or you can find us on Twitter at Our Human Odyssey, on Instagram, on Facebook under the same names. Uh, yeah, just send us a message with what uh, you should you think we should name our game. So on the Human Odyssey podcast team, we have the almost champion, Ooh. Jamie. Well, well, I'm above 50%. So, um, <laughs> I mean... It's a pass. We'll call you the passing champion. <laughs> And on the guest team, we have Diogo Verissimo. Woohoo! All right, so Jamie, you're at uh, three and one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. More like two one, but still, yeah. (laughs) Okay, two one. Um, So I've got, I've sent you both a link. uh, If you can please listen to it. And the rules of the game are very simple. Our guest and Jamie will both listen to the clip which is an animal sound, uh, you'll hear it now. I will be asking them each one at a time, uh, their guesses, and if they really don't get it, then I will start giving out hints. Okay. And like my mom hands out Christmas cookies; they're delicious. Right. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, let's do it. All right, so JB, have you had a listen? I listen right now. They're really delicious. I don't know what she makes them out of, but mm. I wish I could throw them through the screen at you guys. But... <laughs> on the on the on the so the sound is all one single animal, right? Uh, the entire of the sounds, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, yeah I think okay. it's different sounds, but uh, the all the same animal. Okay. All right, okay. Jamie, do we have a first guess? Um, let's just go with some sort of hog. Oh no, not even <laughs> close. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm gonna go with uh, African wild ass. No. Oh, okay. I thought I thought this would be a little bit easy for you. Actually, I was scared that you might get it very easily. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always. You can always rely on me to get it wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's probably a little bit harder than I I give you guys credit for. Uh, Jamie, do you have another guess? Um. A, uh, a, a yak. No. <laughs> uh, You'll go with the save. 
Uh, I'm. Huh. I'm gonna go and say it's a. Oh oh. It is. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm just. I'm just, at this point. I'm completely just throwing out random okay. animal types. Um, I'm. Uh, it's. Is it a type of parrot? No. No. Okay. First hint. Okay. Uh, the animal is a scaly animal. Ooh. It is um, uh, quite full of scales. Let's say. Hopefully that should. Help. Wow. Is that a? I mean, who's going next? Am I going next? Um, Jamie normally, but he seems okay, a bit okay, it's stumped. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> a vocal scaly animal. Uh, what? What? No, just a scaly animal, not a vocal. What? It is vocal. Oh, you mean because of the sound? <laughs> I thought you thought that I'd said vocal. No. <laughs> um. Maybe another hint, because I feel like this is quite difficult. Um, <laughs> it is. It's scaly. Uh, and also a type of ant eater. Uh, is it? Is it a pangolin? Yes, it's a pangolin. <laughs> wow! Who knew <laughs> pangolins make this noise? That's that's insane. <laughs> the pangolin, also sometimes known as the scaly ant eater, is a, a mammal um, of the of the ancient Greek. Uh, name uh, Manidea, which means clad in, oh, sorry, Folitoda, which means clad in scales. Uh, and indeed, he is a scaly board. I thought it was They're... a reptile because you said scales. Oh, well, you should know your animal animals better. I'm sorry. Uh, as far as I know, they're very much threatened by poaching uh, for their meat and their scales. Um, also used in some medicines. Um, and because of heavy uh, deforestation, they are some of the most trafficked animals in the world as well. Uh, they're threatened in tier three, which is quite bad. And they are on the vulnerable on the red list of threatened species as well of the International Union for Conservation of Nature. And um, I thought this would be a good one to get you guys to guess because this morning I watched a very special vlog by someone called Eric the Pendolin, <laughs> which Diogo might know about. This is true. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm didn't so, make the same so noise. No, <laughs> the no, English accents from the south, and <laughs> it doesn't. No, it, the Eric is yeah, it sounds a bit different. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I really invite you all to Eric's vlog um, on the on the Edge YouTube channel. Um, yeah, it's some pretty good, pretty good, um, some pretty good stuff there. Um, yeah, I, I'm. You know, it's, it's a it's it's an initiative. We're also pretty excited about at, mm -hmm. at On the Edge Conservation. This idea of having these animals tell their own stories and and uh, have a bit more of a of a of a presence and, and get them to be more of household names and getting to into uh, you know people's um, sort of everyday lives. And, and yeah. So for everyone, the Eric is a, a 3D animated pangolin. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, you know, we 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 uh, you know the uh, we have a wonderful team at um, uh, on the edge conservation that's headed by um, Bruno Capozzoli, um, who's been working with you know a, a big team of, of of artists to get um, uh, um, these this content um, uh, uh, developed. And so, this Eric's not alone. There's also Lexi, who is an AI mm -hmm. and a DJ, which is not a you know it's an unusual combination. <laughs> so I I, I, uh, I uh, invite you all to check it, ch check her out as well. Same same yeah. channel on the Edge channel on YouTube, um, and. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know we and and I'll, I'll, I'll okay. So for your listeners, uh, you know, exclusive, um, you know, hint that they will soon be joined uh -oh. by another character, um, you know. So stay tuned until the end of the year. Um, uh, and so yeah, so it, it was really a sort of a, a, our our attempt to uh, bring these characters more into every people everyday everyday life. Um, again, we know we're focused on species very much like the kakapo who who are both. Um, you know, unique in that they have no close relatives, but they are uh, threatened by uh, with with extinction, um, and to get them a bit more a bit more visibility, um, and so and so yeah, so I think you know we're hoping that um, by by putting them in, in this new uh, or this uh, platform that's accessible, more accessible to to, to people, um, and sort of also short clips. So all these vlogs usually you know three minutes, two two to four minutes really. Yeah, and he's like a funny little slightly awkward. 
guy yeah, trying yeah. to make vlogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, exactly, it's... exactly, exactly. So hopefully, it will, again, you know, just it would just it would just be framing this content in a way that is accessible to people, even if mm. you know, even if they just want to have fun, right? You don't have to want to learn mm. to go and check out Eric's vlog. So, you know, that's, uh, that's what we're hoping. I for. was wondering, um, this is more of a little side question, but who does the voice? Sure. How did, did you guys take someone from your team? Did you hire someone? No, no, these are all, those are all voice actors, um, okay, you know, right, yeah. uh, and, and full credit to them, you know, for the great job that they do. Um, it and, sounded and very the professional. Team, yeah. The team did a really wonderful job. And, and again, uh, you know, um, uh, and so full credit goes to, to yeah. Bruno and the team. Awesome. At, uh, well, at, that's honestly a, a great initiative i think it it especially for a lot of maybe younger kids and stuff it might exactly uh, same thing with the kakapo run it might um kind of make them more approachable i think because yep. this is something that i wanted to talk about as well is that a lot of animals may not be as um, how to put it with some form of tact uh, not as charming or as <laughs> approachable as other animals um and you know i guess everyone has their own preferences but i think we can all agree that there are a, a quite a large number of animals that are just a little bit boring or not that charming <laughs> or, or unappealing or just unappealing yeah so so or, or what, even how... like stigmatized some of them it's true it's true so so if those animals go go extinct or or sorry more are endangered uh, mm -hmm. because if they're extinct, extinct, we can't really do much. Uh, if they go on the endangered lists, then how are, how, how are we supposed to help them? How, mm -hmm. how can social marketing uh, conservation help us render those animals that lack charm or appeal uh, mm -hmm. to embellish their image? And if, and if that's possible, I guess the second question would be, uh, should we resort to these kind of actions to make sure species survive mm -hmm, mm -hmm. nice that's a good question so you know i was just uh, we we did we did a, a bit of work uh, um during my phd i did a bit of work around focusing on on this so how to what extent mm -hmm. can we use marketing to um, increase the appeal of, of species that uh, I know less, less, less known. So if you're the elephant, or if you're the tiger, or if you're the blue whale, mm. you don't really need marketing, mm. right? So the you European have, you know, bear, the wolf, right? keep talking you know, about it all the time. Um, you know, those animals get a lot of um, visibility uh, on their own, so they don't, they don't really, they don't need that. Um, even sometimes too much visibility, right? So the wolf is a good example. Um, in many European countries, it's it's a a species that's coming back, but it's facing a lot of barriers because it has a very negative image. Um, but if you're, you know, a real a small brown shrew or something, um, then, you know, that's not necessarily the case, right? Um, so, you know, how can marketing help? So I think marketing can help because you can, we can change the conversation, right? So if you're a blue whale, people are going to be talking about your size and the size is really obvious, right? But if you're a little brown, you know, say, you know, if you're the I.I., for example, you know, I encourage all, all, all the listeners to Google I.I., um, I.I. Madagascar. It is, it is, it is, it is a unique animal, uh, believe me. Um, you know, if you're the I.I., then, you know, maybe that's, we, we can use marketing to start thinking about changing the conversation to some of the unique attributes that the I.I. has, right? So he has this really long finger, for example, that he uses to get uh, larvae out of uh, you know tree trunks. It has these really strong teeth, for example, um, that can uh, you know, uh, they're so strong they b can bite through metal, for example. Really? So these these, these oh. you know traits that these are types of things that we can be talking about when we talk yeah. about the I.I. And so we change the conversation instead of looking at this big yellow googly eyes. <laughs> <laughs> say, for example, um, but but I think it's also important, right, to, to say that sometimes just something being endangered. Um, can be used to help frame the cause of that species and get people to be more sympathetic towards it, right? Uh, and so, so I think there's definitely. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that every single species on Earth of, of the millions of species, um, you know, will will you know, there's there's probably a few species that will have more you know things to talk about than others. That's for sure. Um, but we can definitely use you know the way that we communicate um, in the way that we frame know something to to make it more appealing to to the broadest um, audience possible now it doesn't answer your question should we do it or not i mean i think we have no other uh, there's no other option really i i think mm -hmm. we either are proactive and we communicate in the most optimal way possible to get people to care about uh, the environment and biodiversity or we don't but if we don't then what we're saying is that it's not important enough i think um right because you know if you think about everything you know 
every, every, everyone's in you know, their daily life. We have businesses who talk to us about the things they care about. We have politicians and governments who talk about the things they care about. And they, of course, put their best foot forward, right? They present things in the best light possible. Um, why should we be any different? Why should we you know, resist in talking about the things we care about and presenting them in the best, most attractive way possible? Um, you know, I think that that, was, that would just be sort of... Um, in essence, sort of tapping out and you know giving up, um, as opposed to really you know being in the in the being in this to to make sure that society cares about nature and biodiversity. So, what what normally do you think is the best approach for social marketing on conservation? Um, is it merely just saying like this is a you know it's just it's it's presenting perhaps for instance, the species in a, in a relatively appealing way and saying it's threatened and, you know, this is an issue or, I mean, do, do you do tactics such as saying, and here's where you can learn more, uh, for example. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so I wonder what, what the kind of strategy is. So, so I think that the sort of rather unfortunate way about, about marketing is that it, 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 it inevitably comes back to it depends on who you're talking to it depends on what the goal is right so you know let's say for example you're a a non-governmental organization in the uk and you want to fundraise right let's imagine that right um you know even that will require you to speak to different people differently so it will be there'll be different groups who are interested in different things so there'll be um groups of people who are most interested in sort of the big big charismatic mammals, um, the ones that have the most, uh, you know, visibility people are most familiar with, right? So that's will be one group of people. Others, there might be people who are particularly attached to particular groups. So for example, you have um, reptile enthusiasts, for example, people like snakes, right? And that's a smaller group, but might be pretty meaningful. And don't forget that um, the fact that they're smaller uh, if you, if you, if you take into account that these, the interest might be really, really strong, actually the support overall might be comparable right because per person they're more willing to support they're willing to support more right right so so you know i think sort of the the complexity comes from this this fact that there's no sort of one established way that okay so you know we're going to fundraise for conservation we're going to do it in this way well it just really depends on um on on your target audience with your ultimate goal um you know uh, um what it is you want to achieve um and so i think that's where the complexity lies and why so much there's so much research so you know someone like me for example i sit half you know a, a little bit less than half of my time in the university and that's because there's there's a lot of research involved in understanding where people are coming from what how people make decisions about say donations right uh, or 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 other other you know other other types of behaviors and really tailoring that message and that approach it's but it's not just the message it's also that for example the channel right um you know you might be saying the right thing if you're saying in the wrong channel people won't listen and you won't get any result right so it's all of these sort of moving parts is the message is the channel maybe maybe you know very often people think about influencers right um, to, to help you communicate your message. If you choose, if you are in the right channel with the right message with the wrong influencer, that won't work, right? So, so it's all these things that need to align in order for, um, for, for, for these efforts to be successful, which of course, it is, it is, it is hard. It, it is hard. And there's, and there's quite a lot more, I, I, you know, I think it, like in any other, and businesses is very much the same, um, in any effort that aims to influence human behavior, there's a lot more failure than we care to admit. Um, but this is not because, you know, we, 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 we're doing things blindly or we don't know what we're doing. It's simply because of the complexity of, of the effort, right? And because if it was super easy, then, you know, um, you wouldn't have, uh, for example, businesses failing like they are. Um, you know, very often in, in a normal, if you look at startups, for example, the vast majority of startups fail within the first year. Right? And that's because it's, you know, getting people to change and adopt your product, it's really hard, right? And, and, and so in the same way, if we're trying to get people to adopt new behaviors, behaving in a different way, um, it is challenging and it, is, uh, it requires a lot of effort and a lot of insight. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, it's just not, it's just not the case that we will have one approach and we'll say, okay, this is how we do it. And we just pick it up and, you know, and, and we, we do it differently, even for the same, even, you know, say, for example, a, a, the same issue. So, illegal wildlife trade would be a good example, right? If you're working in, say, uh, you know, a use of 
uh, bare parts or bare bile for medicinal use, for example, in, 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 in a country like Cambodia, um, if you move to the next country over, or if you move to, move to a different province of the same country, you might have a very different situation because historically maybe the people who live there are different, maybe the uh, trade routes with neighboring countries are different, maybe the, you know, just the economy of that region is different for whatever reason that might be. Um, and so um, you know, that's, that's really uh, a, a challenge, uh, I think. I have a question based on your paper, um, the past, present, and future of using social marketing to conserve biodiversity. Oh, yeah. Uh, those from last year, from Social Marketing sure. Quarterly, um, for everyone that wants to go and read it. It's not too long of a read, and it's it's really good. I, I learned quite a bit from it, including that uh, one of the first social marketing campaigns that focused on biodiversity conservation stuff was likely the Forest Fire uh, Prevention Campaign from 1944, which uh, made the mascot, uh, mascot of Smokey the Bear super mm -hmm. famous. Uh, yeah. campaign still ongoing today with its sure. tagline of only you can prevent forest fires mm -hmm. uh, and you know i everyone loves Smokey the bear uh i'm sure i i do have a question though on on individual owners and on on maybe the responsibility behind some of these campaigns so i'm sure that uh Smokey and his tagline have done a lot of good in terms of having people being more mindful of their own actions, of their personal actions. So in terms of, um, in terms of like reducing smoking related fires and things like that. Uh, but do, is there not a worry that maybe such a huge campaign may take the attention away from fires caused by structural issues um, with, you know, the, because specifically because of the tagline, only you can prevent forest fires. Yeah. Uh, Uh, maybe structural problems that cause fires, such as inefficient or underfunded forest management, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. business decisions, climate change, that yes. sort of thing. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, and that's not just forest fires. There's a number of issues where um, there are structural changes that need to happen if individual change is to be meaningful, right? So that's absolutely true. And so in social marketing, we have this term that we, we, we call it, we talk about downstream and upstream. So downstream social marketing is where you focus on uh, individual actions or individual consumer or the individual, you know, traveler in that case, or, you know, camper. Right. And then we have upstream mark social marketing, which focuses on um, sort of decision makers, sort of politicians that have this ability to change sort of more things more structurally. Right. And you're absolutely right that historically social marketing is really focused on the individual, the, the individual decision maker, the individual smoker, the individual shopper, the individual, um, you know, Uh, whoever, citizen, right? But there's a whole uh, set of issues where really to get long lasting change, the answer has to be at least in part uh, influencing decision makers, right? Polit political decision makers or business sector decision makers that have the ability to have these big, broad changes to make change at a broad scale. Um, of course, you know, important to bear in mind that these people, you know, decision makers are people too. Um, and so they, they're subject to the same biases and, uh, and, and heuristics that everyone else is. Um, and so, you know, it is possible to use social marketing in that way and to think about social marketing in that realm, right, of, of individual decision makers. Right? It's, 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 of course, a bit different, um, but the principles broadly, I think, you know, apply. Um, but so I guess all, all I'm saying is that you're absolutely right that um, it's not just about individual change. Um, in many, many uh, instances, we will need to have, but I, I, we, have, we have both. And I, this is really what I want to stress to both, right? Sometimes I get this sort of false dichotomy of, oh, it's not individual change, it's, it's political system change. Or it, and and it's, it seems like it's one or the other. You know, once you get to, um, you know, these big global changes or, or challenges, uh, um, rather, it's really both. It's not either or, it's not one or the other, it's both that you need in order to get things to really change in a sort of long-term way. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up soon. Um, I want to maybe finish very quickly on a paper that you'd uh, written or helped write uh, on the impact of media on demand for wildlife. Uh, and you've done a case study of Harry Potter and the UK trade oh, yeah. in owls. I think that might be a, a nice kind of short little bit to, to end on to give people a more tangible uh, example as well. Can you tell us just a little bit? We're, we'll go over this pretty quickly if possible. Sure, 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 sure. Of course. Um, so basically that was, um, that was a, a bit of research that was, um, that was sort of, it, it, it sort of started with this recurring narrative in, in British media in particular uh, that 
Harry Potter, you know, the movies and the books were, was driving this demand for owls as pets. So people were buying owls to have at home as, you know, companion animals, basically. Um, you know, and, 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 and if you read through the articles, usually you'll have the same very small number of people talking about this. You'll have the, you know, the anonymous pet shop owner, you'll have, you know, a couple of people, right? Mm-hmm. So and, and it seemed to me like, it was strange. It seemed to me that, you know, if you think about, if you think about the number of movies you, you see, animation ones, and the ones that actually result in you buying the main character of that movie, and also bearing in mind that the owl was not that, it, it's a sort of clearly a secondary character, right? In this, in this, in this yeah. sort of Harry Potter saga, right? So it seemed to me strange, you know, that, that just those few, you know, at, at very few minutes per movie would get people to, um, yeah. To make such a, you know, also owl is not an easy an animal. Owl, yeah, I was going to say, an owl yeah, right. is not just like getting a chinchilla or something. It's... I mean, it's not like a thing you keep in a tiny box somewhere, right? So, you know, I thought I thought it was worth, you know, uh, uh, looking into this. And so, together with, um, uh, uh, you know, a team of co-authors, we started looking into into this and looked at um, um, licenses for uh, keeping of owls. We looked at... Um, uh, we looked at um, so di- the different types of licenses that there are. We looked at because um, um, another sort of narrative that emerged was when the last movie came out that people were abandoning their owls. So I know after taking them up as mm. pets, they were now getting rid of them because they couldn't. They don't didn't want to. Now Harry Potter was done. They didn't want owls mm. anymore. And so we uh, in- surveyed the number of rescue centers to look at um, whether they had an uptick in people dropping off owls, why the owls were being, uh, you know, delivered to them uh, and all of that. And, you know, we pretty much did, did really not, you know, uncover any, um, any sort of increase uh, or any sort of relationship um, at all. And of course, you know, there, there are some complications because Harry Potter, as you say, there's the books and the movies. Um, then there's, you know, there's, there's sort of multiple ways in which that sort of the character go, comes into our lives. Um, but we, and we explore the suite of different ones. And, and this is an open access you know, paper. So if anyone's interested, I know they could uh, check it out uh, for sure. Um, and, and so I, I guess sort of the main key thing that I want to come out, get out of this is that, um, uh, I think it is important for, for, uh, for us to be more, um, a little bit, a little bit more critical and skeptical. I think sometimes when you see these these big stories, um, because of course it's not something. It's not just uh, this this sort of narrative of a movie um, um, getting a, a lot of um, getting people to buy a bunch of Animal X. It's not just something that came out with Harry Potter. The you know Finding Nemo had the same. Finding Dory had similar. Uh, Zootopia had the same sort of narrative emerge. Um, and so you know again and again and again, what we find is that actually there's not a lot of evidence to substantiate that um and so i think what this this, what for me that the whole sort of the 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 short sort of summary of this is you know when a story like this comes um we do need to be critical a little bit uh i think so i think as scientists i think we need to be a little bit critical as sort of an audience for media we need to be a little bit more critical and also we need to i think ask a little bit more of 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 the media right not to, to to not to build these um these stories on, you know, really thin sort of, you know, evidence and sort of testimony, but really to look in a little bit more deeper and you know, deeply into into these these issues and whether they're really sort of, you know, whether they're act likely to to actually that to, to to be unfolding as 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 maybe the narrative says. All right, I think we're just gonna end the episode with our new usual segment of a quick book recommendation. Uh, Diogo, if you have any book to recommend on maybe the topics, that, one of the topics at least that we touched upon, I don't know if ah. uh, off the top of your head, there's anything. Let me, let me, let's see. Um, or maybe one of your own articles. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, let, let me see. Um, <laughs> a bit more ideas there. <laughs> um, so, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend. Um, I think I, I think a, probably a classic um, in, in my field. In, and so this is it's not social marketing exactly. It's behavioral economics, um, but it's I think an interesting place to start if you're thinking about uh, you know how people make decisions and how we can influence them. Um, it's a book called Nudge. Um, a lot of people will oh, yeah. have heard about it. Um, and so I think it's a nice it's an interesting um, an interesting um, uh, first stop, if you're interested in, in human behavior and how how, how we behave um, 
in certain ways. Um, I think it, it's, it's nice because it sort of challenges this idea that people are rational and we do the logic thing and, you know, and so uh, I think for, for, um, for a first sort of read and, and sort of insight into uh, human decision making, I think that's a pretty good place to start. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my my mom forced me to read it. She's she's a big uh, kind of management uh, person. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it at that because I know she listens. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's a great book. Nudge: Improving Decisions by uh, Richard Taylor and uh, Cass Sunstein. Um, all right, Diogo Verissimo, thank you so much for thank joining you. our Odyssey. Thanks for having me. Super interesting. Great. I know, I know, I, I definitely learned a lot, and uh, I think mm, yeah. you're definitely pushing the right towards the right path. I mean, I know, like I said, marketing might have its uh, its it's a little bit of a loaded term for some mm, people, but definitely. I think you've definitely shown us that there is it isn't to be just discarded, and there's definitely something there to at least use in our fight against climate change and for bio conservation. Happy to hear that. Jupiter. No, we're not so special. And yes, the truth hurts.